0: All right, at this time, if you are in middle school, sixth through eighth, then you can head to the back of the room. You will have um, your middle school class. And we are going to now open the scripture together. So if you would stand as we read from Proverbs 6 6 through 19. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with the crooked speech "'Winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and points with his finger. "'With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. "'Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. "'In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. "'There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. "'Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. "'A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil.' a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This is God's word.
1: I feel like we still got to work on that. Thus says the Lord. Yeah. All right. We're getting there. It's progress. Progress. Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that you would grant us wisdom this morning as we look at your word. Um, Fill us with hope and joy in the gospel of your son, Jesus. Um, Give us wisdom in how to live, um, how to um, navigate um, the world that we live in and act uh, towards one another and live in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, the art of manliness um, great blog and great podcast, by the way, for men, so if you're looking for something to listen to, can definitely recommend that one. It's also good on hygiene, um, just as a side note, like, just tells you all kinds of things, and like how stuff works, and uh, how to build a fire, and, you know, all these, like, essential things that you should know. But um, it has a video, and it's, the video is called Do It Now. And maybe Has anybody seen that video? Nobody? Okay, so I'm the only one that watches. Okay, that's fine. Uh, So this video introduces this guy named Bill. Okay, Bill. Uh, Bill now is a guy who has a job interview at 9 a.m. And Bill has already hit the snooze button three times. Right? And so it's 8.30. And uh, because Bill hasn't washed his clothes uh, for a few weeks, he's got nothing to put on for his job interview. And because uh, Bill let the... Dishes pile up, right? He's got uh, no dishes to use for his cereal in the morning, so he's just chugging a cereal box, you know, with, like, drowning some milk on top of that cereal uh, to, to rush in the morning, uh, and since Bill uh, puts his keys and his wallet and his phone in different places all the time, he had a really hard time figuring out where each of these things are. So he's looking under the couch and he's looking for, a, you know, where are my keys? And he doesn't know. So he goes to the interview and turns out uh, he, he gets really frustrated, right? Because he comes home and he's frustrated that uh, I think he says, nothing ever goes my way, you know? And he's very frustrated because he didn't get the job interview. And uh, that's when the narrator of the video jumps in and says, well, Bill, uh, everything that went wrong this morning could have been pre- prevented by one simple principle. Do it now. You know? And it's like this aha moment for Bill. And the rest of the video shows Bill uh, figuring out how to do it now rather than pushing things off for later. Right? Um, and uh, instead of taking the past path of least resistance, um, he's better prepared for what comes next. And then Bill ends up uh, going to another job interview, and he practices the do-it-now. And, uh, and, and he says, right, as a result of the do-it-now principle, he says, wow, uh, gee, this do-it-now stuff really works. Thanks, Mr. Narrator Man. You know, and, uh, and then he's like, can you stop watching me? <laughs> like, critiquing my every move. Um, but I bring this up, right, because... Proverbs sets before us this morning the idol of procrastination. Anybody procrastinate every once in a while? Yeah, a lot of hands. Um, half committed hands, right? I <laughs> um, can't even raise my hand for that. Um, I'll, I'll do it later. Um, so how are we like Bill, right? Putting off things that we know we should do. How are we like him? In what areas of our lives are we failing to do it now? Um, and do what needs to be done. And, and so it's, it's this that I want to focus our attention. Uh, because Proverbs is calling us to no longer procrastinate. Um, instead, Solomon is challenging us, calling us to uh, look, work hard at two things. First, we're to work hard before God. And second, we're to work hard to preserve unity. Two things before us this morning. So work hard before God. Uh, before the face of God. Let's read starting at verse 6. which maybe might be all of us, uh, being taught a lesson. And uh, if we had read uh, from verse 1, we would have seen verse 1 addresses him as son. right? And then verse 6 starts and says, "Oh sluggard. It's like he's getting like, things are going a little bit worse, so he's getting a little bit of, of correction here coming from his father. Uh, he's become slothful. And so the father instructs him how to start following uh, that he needs to start following the ways of the ant, because she does a few things. Um, I mentioned this before um, a couple of weeks back. Um, I mentioned, uh, I was reading John Chrysostom. Anybody ever heard of that guy? Early church father, 4th uh, century, uh, really great preacher. He was called the, the Golden Tongue, um, known, known as that. Um, and so he said, commenting on this section of Scripture and a couple others, right, he said... We are more irrational than donkeys and cattle. Look, we're even more irrational than birds, the turtle dove, and the swallow. Do you wish to learn another instance of our obtuseness? He makes us disciples of the ants. To such an extent, we have lost our our natural wits. Forgo, it says, to the ant, I love this, O lazy bones, and emulate its ways. We who were made in the image of God have become disciples of ants. I put it out this before, right, but this is a major diss. Like, you don't want to have to look to an ant when you're an image bearer of God in how to live your life, right? Uh, you shouldn't have to do that. Um, when God says, look at the animals, right, for how to obey him, that's just a diss. Um, because we are, we're made above the animals. We're made with the, the, the very image, the likeness of God, male and female. And so we should be able to use our brains, right, use common sense and navigate life. Um, so procrastination says, I'll do it later. Uh, as verse 10 highlights for us, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Or as my wife loves to remind me, if you plan to fail, I'm oh, sorry, no, if you fail to plan, it's like I get this right, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. She often, often says that one, uh, has said it over the years. And my, my wife, by the way, is the opposite of a procrastinator. In fact, her entire family, like at at, uh, family gatherings or holiday, um, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that stuff, they're all busy bees. They're all like just going to town, like cleaning dishes and and doing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes and getting things ready and prepared. While like all the you know, like my brother-in-laws and me, like we're like sitting on the couch, like we're like twiddling our thumbs, you know, like and they're all like busy doing stuff. Um, They're they're the opposite of procrastinators. Uh, they're not idle, um, and, and often she challenges me to get things done on the honey-do list that I probably should have done a long time ago, you know, so thanks, babe, for that. Um, but one of the areas that I have procrastinated in, and this is kind of, it's ironic and a little embarrassing uh, because of the nature of my work, but uh, one of the things that I've put off doing for some time is reading for leisure, um, because you know, I read quite a bit for, for work purposes, but like just to read for fun, I haven't really done that in a long time. And so uh, lately, you know, I've been challenged to actually, um, you know, pick up uh, one of the things I w- I've wanted to do. I've said, "Oh, this would be amazing to do." I'm going to read Lord of the Rings again, you know, and and I finally did it. I finally read uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Ring uh, last week, and I'm like halfway through the Two Towers right now. Ah, oh, it's so good. Um, good times but um what is something that you say is important for you to do right you, you say it 's a priority but that you never seem to get around to doing it what, what is what is what is something that 's on that list um, like i 'll start eating healthier tomorrow i right? 'll go to the gym i 'll get a gym membership next month um, i 'll follow up with that friend that i 'm was supposed to, you know, get together with this person. Um, I'll finally do that ah, next week, right? We're always kind of pushing things off. Um, what is it that you say is important but you don't do? And I think it's really hard to admit the truth, right, to, to, to be confronted with the fact that sometimes we don't, we, we might say that we prioritize something, but we don't actually think it's really a priority because we don't do it, right? We always do the things that uh, we really do think our priorities. Those things always get done. So even if that's like eating red licorice and binge-watching a, a show on Netflix, you know, for several hours, like, those things get done, right? But not uh, the things that we say are our priorities. Um, and so this is why we, we actually do need to be, become disciples of ants, right? Um, because we, we will binge-watch The Bachelor uh, until all of our years are spent up and uh, we'll finish the whole thing of red vines. It's just what we'll do if we don't follow the ant. So he encourages us, go to that ant. And so what does the, the ant do that's so wise? A couple things, just three things I want to mention. Um, first, the, the ant does not need a boss, right? The ant is a, a productive worker who doesn't need to be told twice what to do um, and just gets down, gets busy uh, doing what an ant needs to do, um, and that's, I mean, that's an employee I think any boss wish they had um, someone who's driven, uh, who doesn't need to be told again, and who gets the, the task at hand done. Um, second, the ant prepares. Uh, so the ant is not like Bill, our, our good friend Bill. Uh, uh, so the ant uh, would not put off doing the laundry. The ant would not put off doing the dishes and would place the, the keys, wallet and phone in the right spot. Uh, to, to, to plan to succeed uh, come winter, so there's plenty of food to survive. Um, it's a diligent ant. Uh, third, the ant works for the survival of the whole colony. Um, you know, We live in, we're immersed in individualism. That's American culture. And this ant, one thing we learn, right, is that others depend on the ant. The ant does not just live for herself. There's this focus on, on others, this corporate aspect. So as we reflect on this text, right, as it challenges us, how diligent are we? If you ask this question, maybe in your community groups or at home, um, how diligent are you at your work, at your job, at your everyday tasks? How disciplined are you in life? Do you need to be told what to do always, or do you go to work on your own? Do you plan for the future? Are you a dependable person for others to rely on? These are the wise questions that Proverbs is, is, is stretching us to ask. Um, and the ant is compared to the sluggard, uh, to the lazy bones, as Chris says. Uh, later in, uh, in Proverbs 19.24, he says, A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. I mean, can you just picture that for a second? Uh, thinking of somebody like sitting on the couch with a bag of potato chips, reaching in the bag... And then being like, yeah, I'm not taking that out. (laughs) That is just too much effort, you know. Um, Maybe that's where, like, the the image of, like, dumping the potato chips in the mouth comes from, right? It's a lot easier. You just, like, ah, pour that down, down the chimney, down the hatch. Um, But, right, typically we think of a lazy person as somebody who just doesn't start a task, right? Proverbs is, is stretching us here, and it's saying... A lazy person is not just somebody who won't start a task, but it's somebody who, doesn't, who starts tasks, but doesn't finish them. Right? Only gets halfway through them. And man, I'll, I'll confess, uh, I do this a lot uh, at certain tasks. Like, for example, in our, in our home, uh, I am tasked with uh, taking out the trash regularly. Right? And, so, uh, and I do it sometimes, uh, pretty well. But every once in a while, I don't know why, but I will literally, I'll take the trash out, which is great, and uh, I'll leave the trash bin out, and I won't replace the trash bag. Ah, it's the worst, right? And so thank you, babe, for being patient with me with the trash. Um, she's always like, ah, really? Um, like just half doing it, right? Um, and if you're, if you're that kind of person, uh, I want to challenge you to finish the task that you start. Finish the book that you started, um, even more motivating than the ant is learning from God's own son. So for the kind of person who doesn't finish a task or only half-finished tasks, um, I, want, I want you to do something right now. I want you to take a minute to reflect and to think about the one who's loved you to the very end and who never gave up until he could say the words, It is finished. Talking about Jesus, the one who who finished the work that we should have completed, and he did it for you as he hung on the cross. Um, I'm not here this morning to guilt trip you. Uh, I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm not here to pile on more uh, lists of to dos uh, for myself or for others. Uh, The gospel of grace tells us God has finished what we started and failed to finish. He has finished it. Uh, Humanity was tasked, uh, as we were reflecting on uh, earlier in the the worship service, um, tasked with many things at the beginning of creation, and Adam and Eve failed to do what they were commanded. Um, We too, we we fail to do all that God requires of us in his law. And so God himself steps in and says, I will do it now, and I will finish it for you. Be a slave to procrastination and sloth no longer, because I've freed you. It is done. And so whatever we do, we can work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, as Colossians 3.23 reminds us. Because the work that we do, uh, because God's done it all for us, right, it, 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 what we do now benefits others around us. And so that's the first thing that we learn, I wanted to point out uh, from our text this morning, that uh, that we learn as as disciples of the ants, right? To work hard before the Lord. The second thing we learn is that we are to strive for unity because discord and division is in our nature. We are sinners. Even leaders are sinners. We are each sinners, and, and it takes immense effort and patience and endurance to preserve peace and to strive for unity. that's what I want to finish looking at here. So work hard to preserve unity. Verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, Seven that are an abomination to him haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And so here's this description of a divisive person. Um, one of the Ten Commandments tells us not to bear false witness against our neighbor. Exodus twenty sixteen. And so slander and gossip, right, they're sins according to God. And the seventh item, listed as an abomination in in verse 19, is one who sows discord among brothers. Um, It's like all of the first six ultimately lead and breed this kind of division and discord. And God hates it because he loves unity. As we heard in the call to worship, right, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That's a beautiful thing, but this is ugly. And so the, the New Testament gives us plenty of warnings about it. In, in his letter to Titus, Paul goes so far as to say, right, he says, for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with them. All right, serious business. So serious that division reaps destruction in a body, in a church body, whenever it takes place. And we have to be on guard. We have to preserve unity. We have to fight for it. Um, doing everything we can to preserve it, protect it. To the Galatians, the, apostles, uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, he re- wrote uh, in chapter 5, he said, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Right? So as we read and we reflect on this teaching, this biblical teaching, We're warned, right? It's a warning to us to be on guard, to to watch our mouth, to watch our speech, to check our hearts. If we are idle factories, then we're also hot messes waiting to happen, right? Um, All of these warnings exist in the Bible because you are going to be around people who cause division, or you might be tempted to cause division yourself. The fact is, people are sinful, and so there's going to be conflict. And the question isn't if conflict is going to happen. The question is when will it happen and how will I respond to it when it happens in my life? Time and time again throughout the Bible, God uses conflict for personal renewal and for corporate growth. It's kind of a crazy thing, right? But uh, the early church, uh, if we look in in Acts, uh, they faced a huge conflict over whether or not non-Jews could be part of the body of Christ. And become part of the church. And it led to a ton of disagreement. It actually led to a fight between the Apostle Paul and and Peter. um, where, Where Paul calls Peter out for not practicing the gospel. And instead of leading to further division, right? It actually led the church to greater unity. It led the church to peace. And God used it for greater growth. And so conflict's not an intrusion in our lives. It's an opportunity. An opportunity that we need to face. An opportunity to learn how to disagree well and to love one another in spite of ourselves. We can't avoid it. We have to face the facts, address the elephants in the room, and work hard at unity. So brothers and sisters, right, we believe and we trust and we hope in the God of redemption. This is a God who has reconciled himself to us through the blood of the cross. And that same wall of division and hostility that stood between us is broken down. It's erased by his blood. And we can be brought together as one. Why? Why should we hope for such outcomes in our lives? Why should we hope that reconciliation can happen? Well, it's not because of how good we are, Uh, it's not because uh, we're Presbyterian. Um, And we just work stuff out. It's not because uh, we have the right uh, things, uh, the right facts, or we know all things. Uh, Hear this encouragement from the Apostle Paul. He writes in in Philippians chapter 2. He says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Doesn't that sound so good, like ideal? It sounds amazing. But it also sounds so out of reach, right, if we're honest. It's like, that would be an amazing world if everybody just got along. Can't we all just get along, right? Can't we be friends? Um, and, 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 and it's hard to, like, reconcile um, how is it possible to overcome difficult conflicts? How is it possible? And, right, trusting in ourselves, we'd give up. We wouldn't get very far. But thankfully, right, Paul does not stop in his description here with this ideal. He brings it down and makes it very practical, and he goes on and he says this. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Guys, this is already ours in Jesus. Like We already have this unity. We are already of one mind. So, it's a gift that has been given. Verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What we need to be getting is that it is by looking to Jesus that we can overcome our propensity to procrastinate we can overcome our slothfulness, our sluggishness. It's also by looking to Jesus Christ that we can overcome division and disunity among us, that there is true gospel hope because of Jesus. Jesus is, as Hebrews says, he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand, or at, the, at the throne of God. He loved us enough to save us. He, he endured agony with a sense of joy set before him because of the goal of glory for others. Not just for himself, but for others. He was fixated on that outcome that he hoped to accomplish, and that outcome was for us. And so if you struggle, if you're somebody who struggles to finish the things you've started, if you're somebody who finds themselves procrastinating with your hand half raised, with a bag of potato chips, your hand still stuck in the bag of potato chips and not getting it out, right? If you find yourself among those who can say that about themselves honestly, remember the one who loved you to the utter end, and he went all the way until he could say, it is finished. And he said that for you, because he did it for you. God can make you more like Jesus. He can make you into a person who does what you promise and finish finishes what you start because of Jesus. He can make you more like Jesus. He can make you in a person who loves the unlovable because you were unlovable. But now in Christ, you are fully loved. Let's pray.